Bless as he who comes in the name of the Lord of hosts. Bless, O Lord, the reading of the Holy Gospel according to Saint Mark. Glory to And Savior and King of us all, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, to be the glory forever. Amen. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then he came out, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went into the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. The Gospel of St. Mark, which is where the passage that we read here from the first Sunday of Beba, is a little bit different from the rest of the Gospels in that St. Mark is really like straight and to the point. In the first chapter, he quotes our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the Gospel. That was sort of the announcement of our Lord Jesus Christ right at the beginning of his ministry in Galilee. In St. Mark's Gospel in general, he wants to tell us basically three things. One is the news that our Lord Jesus Christ is the kingly Messiah. Two, he wants to sort of counter the expectation of what people thought the Messiah would be like. So our Lord Jesus Christ is a Messiah, but the Messiah is going to be God's suffering servant. So he wants to explain this. St. Mark is trying to explain this in his Gospel. And the third thing, because... People's plans for the Messiah are not in line with our Lord Jesus Christ's path. Our Lord Jesus Christ keeps his identity a secret throughout his ministry. Or actually, he doesn't really overtly say 
uh, or St. Mark doesn't talk about how our Lord Jesus Christ overtly says who He is before His crucifixion. Because the people's plans, they want to make the Messiah to be the leader, to be the king, to be reigning forever. And our Lord Jesus Christ's concept of the Messiah is to be the suffering servant. In St. Mark's Gospel, then also you have three different types of people, or three groups of people. One group is the people that are his followers or his disciples who have chosen to follow, to obey, to take up their cross. Number two is the people who are sort of in St. Mark's Gospel is labeled the crowd. These are the people who are amazed by his teaching, they're stunned by his healings, they're shocked by him being able to cast out demons, they're drawn by the miraculous provisions like when he feeds uh, from the five loaves and two fish, who in the end they have to individually choose, am I going to leave the crowd and repent and believe and follow and become part of the followers or the disciples, or am I going to join the third group which is sort of the opposition? The third group are the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the authorities, the people who are supposedly the guardians of God's kingdom, who over and over in the Gospel of St. Mark find themselves sort of on the wrong side of the equation, who have to decide sort of what to do with this challenge to their authority, what to do about this person who is supposedly making trouble, who claims equality with God. So as we're reading in the Gospel of St. Mark, many, many times we hear our Lord Jesus Christ as the kingly Messiah bringing God's kingdom. But this Messiah is coming as the suffering servant. But this announcement, at least in St. Mark's Gospel, is often veiled so that his mission is not distracted or derailed by sort of other people's agendas. So today, in today's reading, we have our Lord Jesus Christ forgiving sins, healing sickness, calling sinners to follow Him, all of which is beyond the capabilities of somebody who would consider themselves just a prophet or a teacher. And so, those three groups that I described in the Gospel of St. Mark are responding. The authorities, they ask, who, did this pers- who does this person think that he is? Doesn't he know that only God can forgive sins? The crowd is responding saying things like, we have never seen anything like this. And then the individuals themselves, like the paralyzed man, and actually in this passage, right after this passage is the, is the uh, calling of Levi, the calling of St. Matthew. They respond to the call to follow and they rise up from their sickness and from their sin and into new life. So there is another issue that I wanted to speak about just slightly before I get into sort of the, the, the spiritual meditations on this passage is, did our Lord Jesus Christ ever say that He was God? Because like I said in the, in the Gospel of St. Mark, this whole theme of the Messianic secret highlights that our Lord Jesus Christ never went, at least in the Gospel of St. Mark, shouting on top of the mountain, I'm God, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, worship me now. And because of this, sometimes we're faced with this question, and it's easy to pause and to think, you know, I can't remember a time when Jesus said in the Gospel, I'm God. And so I start to get confused by people who sort of have this accusation against our Lord Jesus Christ and against the Gospels. If you ever face this question, you need to do two things. Number one, I should point to or remember the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not get crucified because He was a wise teacher. The Romans had to deal with His kingly claim. And the religious authorities used that fact in His trial because they weren't allowed by the Romans to stone Him just for blasphemy. 
And they knew that the Romans weren't interested in dealing with him just because he is causing problems in their faith. So number one, the cross is evidence that the religious authorities believe that our Lord Jesus Christ was claiming again and again to somehow be equal with God. And that in their eyes this was blasphemous because they couldn't see how it could possibly be true that God would clothe himself in human frailty. So number one, I point to the cross. Number two then, actually I really should get out my gospel, my Bible and read through with the person that might be questioning me. Here in St. Mark in, in chapter 2, just a little bit into the narrative, you have our Lord Jesus Christ being charged with being a blasphemer. Charged with claiming to be equal with God. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the authorities say, He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Over and over and over again in the four Gospels, you will see our Lord Jesus Christ saying things that when you think about it, especially within the context of the Old Testament, are claims to be equal with God. When our Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the Good Shepherd. When He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. When He says, you will see Me seated at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. When He says, my words will never pass away. When He says, before Abraham was born, I am. When He says, there is one greater than the temple here. Add all of those statements to the many miracles that were clearly pointing as signs to his identity. One who speaks in his own authority to demons, to the storms, to sickness, even to death. Someone who provides bread from heaven, someone who makes wine from water, fish out of nowhere. So people who are skeptical have to strip away claims of Godhead from our Lord Jesus Christ's life and words. And then when they do that, they are left with no explanation for why he was so dangerous that he had to be killed. So it's important for us to understand, our Lord Jesus Christ, although, like I said, in St. Mark's Gospel, the theme was sort of that he was uh, not clearly stating that he was the Messiah. There are many, many instances in the Gospel, very clearly, by our Lord Jesus Christ's words and by our Lord Jesus Christ's actions, that he considered himself equal with God and wanted the, the people to know that he was equal with God. So here in the Gospel of St. Mark, we have a scene where there is this house and our Lord Jesus Christ is preaching in this house and we find a group ripping a hole in the roof of the house so that, he can, so that they can come and heal him. The scene at the crowded house is sort of the Gospel story in, in, in sort of condensed version. And all of us need to identify with the paralytic man dropped into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is preaching the word to the crowd. And out of the crowd, a person is dropped in front of him and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And to his limbs that were lifeless, he says to him, rise up. What the Gospel tells us is that before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were dead in our sins. So even though we had the appearance of life, we were actually in fact dead. So in much the same way, this man, although he was technically alive, was unable to experience life in the same way that those around him that were able-bodied could experience it. In forgiving the man's sins, our Lord Jesus Christ is not suggesting, by the way, 
that in this particular case, that a specific sin was directly leading to his paralysis. This is merely cutting through the surface to humanity's problem of the heart. That then shows itself, this problem of the heart shows itself in the brokenness of the world, where people are paralyzed, people are sick, there is disease, there are natural disasters, all signs that things are broken and groaning and waiting for the earnest expectation of salvation. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He could have just healed the man and left him with the problem of his soul. He could have actually gone around fixing the surface issues of the entire world, providing bread, healing disease, stopping storms, but not addressing the issue behind those surface manifestations. By forgiving man's sins, our Lord Jesus Christ highlights the greater need for you and I. And His ultimate destination, the cross, to deal with our sinful hearts. It's a reminder for us for sometimes our mistaken priorities. It is better to enter the kingdom and await future physical wholeness than to receive physical healing now and fail to enter the kingdom of God. On the surface, in the beginning, when you hear this passage, it may look like our Lord Jesus Christ is doing the easy thing by saying, your sins are forgiven, something that no one can see or prove. But Jesus demonstrates that He has done the hardest thing of forgiveness by then doing the lesser thing, the miracle of healing. And the helpless man, the man who was unable even to do anything for himself, whose previous efforts were zero, who was dead in everything but name, is resurrected from his old dead life. The one who couldn't even get through the door to our Lord Jesus Christ walks out of the door to a new life. There is a problem if we do not identify with this paralyzed man. You may think you can stay and be like the people in the crowd, you know, saying, ooh and on, we've never seen anything like this. But in the end, we have to choose to condemn our Lord Jesus Christ as a blasphemer or to follow as the physician of the world. The authorities ask Christ, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are when you say you can forgive sins? Who do you think you are when you go to dinner with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know who these people are? Jesus challenges their authority with His own demonstration of authority. And the reality of the need that there is something wrong with the hearts of man. If we think we do not need the true physician, we are more sick than we can imagine. But if we recognize our helplessness, when we recognize our sin, we'll discover the, the resurrection of life that only He can offer. And we'll be welcomed into the wedding feast. Last week we talked about how knowing how much God loves us and has done for us causes us to love Him. This week God is telling us when we recognize our need for healing, God is quick to heal, not only our bodies, not only our surface level issues, but to get into our hearts and our souls. And as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, as those who have been summoned from death to life, to get up and follow Him, we also need to be able to 
carry our friends, our neighbors, our family, our colleagues to our Lord Jesus Christ and tear down any roofing or any stuff that might get in the way of them being brought into the presence of Jesus so that they could also be raised up into a new life called to follow and join into the wedding feast of sinners who are restored. I want us to sort of contemplate on this for a moment. Really think and ask yourself, do I make an effort to bring others to Christ? When I say something like that, do I think I make an effort to bring others to Christ? I think our minds tend to gravitate towards evangelism. And yes, of course, that is one obvious meaning. But I'm thinking about something else today. The people around you, the people in your sphere of influence, the people who you live with, the people who you work with, the people who you attend church and serve with, the people who already might be Christian, do I bring them towards Christ? Do I lift them up and offer them to Christ so that He can heal them? I'm afraid actually, unfortunately, many times, many, many times, we are doing the opposite. We lead those around us away from God. Either by acting or speaking in a way unbecoming of a Christian, or by lack of love in dealing with those who have stumbled. We underestimate how much influence we have on those around us. Maybe our friends, our acquaintances, our loved ones. Those people maybe might not ever admit it. But the way we conduct ourselves sets the tone for how they view Christianity and what they deem to be acceptable behavior. The example I always use is like a library. Why are libraries always quiet? A library might have a sign that says, please be quiet. But I don't think that's primarily why a library is quiet. A library is quiet because the people inside the library are quiet. It's a quiet environment. So when someone who is loud comes in, they kind of automatically quiet down. Because the environment is one where it's not loud. We have this power as a church, as a parent, as an employee, to set the tone of my environment. Is it a Christian one? where there are words of edification and love that are expressed? Or is it one where there is judgment and profanity and evil that are encouraged? I pray today that we could recognize sort of the condition of our hearts, that without Christ, we would see ourselves like the paralytic man, helpless. And that we would be happy and thankful and rejoice in the efforts of those who brought us into the presence of God. And that we could hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ of forgiveness and the pronouncement of resurrection to rise up and take up my bed and walk. I also pray though that God would give us specifically the names of people in my life who He wants me to bring to Him. Maybe I need to team up with two or three friends like these people did to tear away sort of any barrier that a person may need in meeting our Lord Jesus Christ. But I should ask God, give me someone. Give me someone I need to bring to Christ. Whether someone who knows Him, but might be far away, or someone who doesn't know Him at all. To ask for an opportunity, even within this week, to ask for an opportunity to see 
resurrection of the life, so that we can say, just like the crowd, we never saw anything like this. When you see someone's life changing, when you see them come to Christ, can say, we have never seen anything like this. May God give us this opportunity, and may we take this opportunity and use it for the glory of His name. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.